Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles again and open them to the book of Acts, chapter 1. As we start a brand new study in the book of Acts, I've titled our Bible study today, Authentic Jesus-Loving Life. Because I think that's our desire, to live an authentic Jesus-loving life. Because we live in a world filled with fakes and phonies. So much hypocrisy and people putting on face, wanting us to think one way about them. I mean, you think about just, just what social media has done I mean, if, if all you did was get your information from social media, you would think that everybody has their life together because it's just their highlight reel. I mean, there's a couple of things you probably see. Number one, there's a lot of angry people that like to complain about a lot of things. That's social media. But on the other hand, it's just like the highlight reel of people where it's their best meal and their best day and their best moment of the day. And if you were looking at it, you go, man, I wish I had a life like that. But when you peel back the layers, you find out Hey man, everybody's hurting, everybody's struggling, everybody's going through something, especially those that are separate from God. That, that's why they're pushing so much for you to think they've got it made. They're pushing so much for you to think everything's in order when we know full well everything is not in order. And I know as an unbeliever myself, just 30 years ago, I was looking for, even though I wouldn't have been able to communicate with you, I wouldn't be able to tell you and describe this but I look back now and see, I was really looking for something real and authentic because I was such a fake and I was living such a hypocritical life, bringing pain and sorrow to people that loved me. It was so much of a, a wandering journey that I finally just settled to live hopelessly under the influence of some substance going from party to party, waiting for it all to end. I really had this philosophy, let's eat, drink, and party because tomorrow we die. And so let's just live it up now. That was such a dangerous, destructive way of living. Now looking back, I can see there was a lack of authenticity, a lack of power, a lack of substance in my life. I was empty, sad, and alone. And yet the Lord intervened in my life through a friend inviting me to church, hearing the good news that my sins could be forgiven, that God loves me, actually has a plan for my life, changed my life. And I entered into a real relationship, a true relationship with a real, authentic, powerful God who wants to connect with you as much as he connected with me. Listen, the world, the world in which we live, doesn't need and doesn't want some fake, syrupy imitation or some contrived substitute for the real message of forgiveness in their lives. It's true, both people young and old are looking today for something worth living for. I would even say something worth dying for. I want you to consider the current environment in our culture right now and just step one big step backwards and lay aside all your preconceived ideas and opinions. Just, just I want you to, to take a, a sliver of what you see in the world today and, and consider that people really want to work, live for something. They really have passion. They're willing to lay it all on the line. I mean, listen, why else would they riot? 
Why else would they picket? Why else would they yell and scream for their cause if they weren't passionate about what they believe in? Now, you got to set aside for a second. Well, you know, I don't agree with them, and I don't agree with them. Okay, set all that aside for a second, and just consider the world is looking for something to live for and to die for. It's in them. The Bible says that God has placed eternity in all of our hearts. And I believe as a church, we have the message. We have the man. It's the same kind of world that Jesus entered into. A world that was in chaos. One filled with hopelessness, false religions, sin, destruction, confusion. And Jesus entered in authentically. He was real. I know it's an understatement whenever we describe Jesus, but he was real. I mean, he lived a real, authentic life. He, he was able to live apart from the fear of man. You know, the fear of man is a big problem for us. Now, we, we, that's the Bible phrase, the fear of man. Let me give you a phrase that's used in our culture and our world to help you understand that. Like, like, you may not consider, well, I don't have fear of man. I fear no man. Okay, this is what the Bible's talking about. If you are a people pleaser, people pleaser, anybody with me, people pleaser? Okay, not one in the house. Okay, that's fine. For you guys on the radio right now, all you people pleasers on the radio, like, Fear of man is just like people-pleasing. You're always worried about pe what people say about you, what they think about you, what they're saying behind your back. You're always calculating, if I do this, but if I say this. And, and most of the time, you're just like, I don't do anything. I just don't want to disrupt anybody. I don't want anybody mad at me. That, that is the fear of man. Jesus didn't have, he wasn't corrupted by that. I mean, it's not like he didn't care. You could say, well, he didn't really care. It's not that kind of, like he didn't live not caring. Of course he cared. But he wasn't influenced by the opinions of man. He didn't change the course of his life because somebody didn't like him or somebody didn't like what he said or somebody didn't like his message. I mean, he was the real deal. You knew where you stood when you were in the presence of Jesus. You knew exactly what he felt about anything that you talked about. You knew he was going to tell you the truth. And listen, that's what the world is looking for. Now, you may be rewarded with crucifixion for that but you'll be following in the footsteps of Jesus. He was able to be authentic in love. Like people knew that he cared. They may not have liked him and they may not have liked the message, but they couldn't deny. They couldn't deny. And if they tried to deny along the way, they couldn't deny after his willing, willful surrender to, to, and submission to crucifixion that he loved. He spoke the truth in love. This world's looking for authenticity authenticity. It's a troubling thing, you know. It's a troubling thing for me as, as a pastor, both as a pastor but also just as a fellow believer, to see what's happening in the church today. It's one of the reasons I believe it's great and timely for us to be in the book of Acts. It's troubling to watch how the gospel, the good news, the message is being blurred and confused like never before. Not just outside of the church, not just everybody's opinion about Christians and church, but from the inside. What's happening inside churches? Even though the church as a whole has always had these in-house debates and discussions and arguments about things that really don't have any eternal value, today we're seeing popular Christian leaders, we're watching seminaries and even those that call themselves pastors choosing to attack and undermine and try to redefine essential Christian doctrine and living. 
Things like Jesus being the only way to salvation, discarded. Things like the Bible being trustworthy and inspired of God, discarded. We have a whole new wave of apostates, men who once followed Jesus now rejecting him and actually teaching other people how to deconstruct their faith so others can reject Jesus too. And it's amazingly sad to watch and read about it as it unfolds. Add to that the day in which we live, the day in which you live. We're living in a time of global, prophetic, and biblical importance. You know, year after year, for 20 years I've taught this church and I've had the privilege of saying, look, we're, gonna, we're in the end times, it's gonna get harder. We're in the end times, it's gonna get darker. We're in the end times, things are gonna, the pressure's gonna increase. For 20 years I've been doing, and now that it's arrived, people are freaking out. Why are you freaking out? This is exactly what the Bible said would happen. I'll tell you why you're freaking out. You thought it wasn't gonna happen until later. But it's now you, it's your generation. You are born for this. You are alive on the planet for this time period. And a lot of what we've been teaching is no longer future. You're in it. You're the generation that gets to participate in the will of God in some of the darkest days of human history. Not just our generation though. I mean, things are so bad today that they're kind of like the days of Noah. Where, where people are inventing new ways to sin and sexual depravity and just on and on the list goes. But that too shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said it was super clear that as in the days of Noah, so were the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. And here we are. And I know it's surprising. And I know it's scary. And I know it's even a little shocking. But God is our strength. And he has left the church while we're on the earth. Well, we have the privilege of being that preserving element in a decaying world, you and me. But in love, we can't abandon love. Church, don't freak out about it. Don't try to take things into your own hands. Don't become like the world in order to change the world. It won't work. That's one of the other things that I see in the church today, like there's two different extremes, two different extremes. You know, I think before we get to the extremes, I think it's good to be, just to remind you what's happening in the church world today. Because you'll recall back in the beginning of this particular trial that we're in, mandates, pandemic and such, you remember back in the beginning, a lot of churches closed. We, we did as well, temporarily. We didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't know what was up ahead. And then we quickly reopened. But did you know that there are still churches today that have not reopened their doors for public worship, still to this day. Not only that, and again, some of the things I'm gonna be sharing with you through this study in the book of Acts, I'm gonna bring you a little bit into my world as a pastor, the things I read and the things that get sent to me and, and the world I live in to try to minister to this level of leadership in the church of Jesus as well. And, and so in the world that I'm in, like I've even, I've even got firsthand knowledge of guys that in the beginning when they closed their churches, they saw it as an opportunity to take an extended vacation to which some of them haven't even come back yet. That's the church today, abandoning the flock, turning their back on the people that needed the most in the time that they're needed the most. That's the church today at large. Other churches chose to pivot to another gospel. 
blurring the gospel with other messages that really are not conducive to what the Word of God says. Listen, you know you have the true gospel when you can take it to any country, any tribe, any tongue, any nation, and it preaches the same. You know it's true when it applies to every human being. Because Jesus Christ, he, you know, the Bible says that God so loved the world. So the gospel is relevant across the world. Churches have abandoned truth, love, mercy, and grace. And, and to some degree, I see it on a personal level, they've abandoned empathy. Like pastors have become less empathetic and more angry and more frustrated. And it's damaging the church. There's two extremes I, I think are important to consider in these trying times. And, and as we get to the book of Acts and study through it, you'll see that God will help us stay away. But there's two extremes I see today in the church. Number one is the extreme of trying to fit in to a world that doesn't like us. You have to understand the church will never be accepted by the world. And, and if the church ever is accepted by the world, the church has become like the world. Amen. There is no way the world will accept the church. The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not an acceptable message to people. They don't like it. I didn't like it. You know, have my, even though he was my buddy coming and tell me what a sinner I was, I was, in, I was immediately defensive. You don't know me. You don't know. Of course he knew me. All we did was party together for year after year after year. Of course he knew who I was. My wife knew who I was. It was an offensive message. We will not be able to fit in to a world that hates Jesus. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. But we find the church continuing, continuing to move in this direction of trying to fit in, trying to relate, trying to be relevant at the cost of spiritual compromise. Now, I'm not talking about lights. I'm not talking about colored lights. I'm not talking about music style. I'm not talking about the, the type of things that get mixed up on this. Like, obviously, we want to be able to, the methodologies of getting the gospel is going to change with culture. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is watering down the word of God in such a way where you feel like you're culturally acceptable. The church of Jesus Christ, I mean, if you're following Jesus, you will follow his footsteps to the cross. That is the price to pay for being a Christian. Now, you may not ever be personally crucified, but you know, believers around the world are crucified. They lose their life every day. In many parts of the world, the church has gone underground to propagate the gospel. They've made adjustments so they continue to worship God, but also continue to have their physical life to continue to spread the gospel. Like, you're not going to be able to fit into this world. It's just not going to happen. We can be applicable to this world. We can use, you know, when I think of relevance, obviously I, I need to understand our culture so I can make the Bible relevant to our current culture for sure. But fit in? We won't fit in. We won't be accepted. It's not going to happen. I mean, if you don't believe me on this, this week, tomorrow morning when you go into the office, just go right past your desk, go right past the break room, right into the CEO office of your company and tell them, God has sent me here to preach the gospel to you. He loves you, you rotten sinner, and I know that you can be saved if you'll repent of your sins. You will be a different man. God will save your soul. You'll spend eternity with him in, in, uh, in heaven and tell me how it goes. Now, of course, 
That's a pretty dramatic, exaggerated way of doing it. But put a Bible on your desk. Put a scripture in your email signature. Uh, Talk to somebody about the love of God. Give them a gift. Uh, when they're talking about their partying, you know, they're at the, in the break room. What'd you do this week? I'm party, party, party. What'd you do? I went to church. Tell me how it goes. That's why, that's why relationships and love are the key bridge with the gospel. Very rarely will you stand up on a soapbox and scream at people and they'll receive you. But when you do life with people day in and day out, when you make room for them as who they are and their upbringing, and you begin to show them how much you love them, they begin to care why you love them. Why? And so doesn't it make sense that the current environment in our world today is designed to take away love from Christians and make so many Christians today angry, frustrated, like it is... It is an ugly scene, and we must be careful. The early church, the early church was alive, empowered, and led by the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, A.W. Tozer commenting, Tozer's a great author, by the way, read anything by him, T-O-Z-E-R. Great author, super challenging. Years ago, in, as he was describing the early church in the book of Acts, he said this, and I quote, If the Holy Spirit were taken away from the early church, 90% of what they did would come to a halt. That's how close they were with the Spirit. If the Spirit left, they would stop. They wouldn't know what to do. They were led by the Spirit and power. Today, if the Holy Spirit left the church, 90% of what churches are doing would keep on going because they wouldn't even notice that the Spirit of God has exited the building because they're caught up in things that are not from the Lord. It's a powerful statement. Here's another extreme I want to consider in our modern day that's very important that we consider, and that is one extreme is fitting in. Another extreme is cursing the darkness. Cursing the darkness. The church today seems to think its role is to identify every sin and sinful person and vilify them or call them names or murmur and complain about them, and murmur and complain about the dark world in which we live. It seems like that's what the church has become experts in. And no, ma- no wonder the antagonism of the world has notched up toward the church. Not only are we now identifying every single and vocally and vilifying and name calling and just getting caught up in it all because we disagree, it's not the disagreement that's wrong, it's how we handle the disagreements. I think in our culture at large, we've just lost the ability to disagree agreeably. We've lost the ability to disagree with love and mercy and just accept that other people see the world differently than we do and ask for the Lord to show us how we might reach them, how we might help them, how we might serve them. Today, no longer is the church known for its love, but today it's known for its ability to condemn everything they disagree with. I think it was, I know it was Pastor Miles McPherson in his book, The Third Option, how he was sharing with us another great resource. He was sharing with us that there is this trend to call people names or to label people because when, when we call someone a name and we 
label them, we dehumanize them. We forget that they're created in the image of God. And when you forget someone's created in the image of God, you don't treat them like that anymore. And so it's easy, label them, uh, and that way you don't have to call them your neighbor. Because when they're your neighbor, that triggers a teaching that Jesus gave us that we're to what? Love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And the church just seems to be going on their business, making sure that everybody knows how bad the world is and how bad people are. And personal opinions and personal convictions have replaced the loving word of God administered to hurting and lost people. There's this quote that was floating around my mind. I usually say it, but I looked up the original, and the original is much better than anything I've ever quoted before. In 1907, a pastor by the name of William Watkinson said this in one of his messages, and I quote, Denunciatory rhetoric is so much easier and cheaper than good works and proves a popular temptation. Yet, it is a far better thing to light the candle than to curse the darkness. I'm like, denunciatory rhetoric. Wow. In 1907, he prophesied about social media right there. It's so much easier and cheaper than good works. And you go, but Ed, what happens if I don't share my opinion, if I don't tell it, what happens? This is what happens. You pray and you ask God for wisdom on how to navigate in your world. Yeah, but Ed, what about tomorrow? What about next year? What about the future? Here's what you do. You trust an unknown future to a well-known God. You trust him with your life. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'll tell you what, today I got enough concerns to keep me busy seeking the Lord for my life. And when tomorrow comes, if I've created a habit of seeking him today, tomorrow, when tomorrow comes, you know what it becomes? Today. And now you have another day to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our study in the book of Acts will be a call to simplicity. It will be a reminder of the source of our strength. It's good to study the simple book of Acts. Because Acts is the original template laid down for us from God himself, filled with principles and practicalities for the church, for us. When you're reading through the book of Acts and we're studying it, it is not like an owner's manual. Actually, it comes to us with a, from a form of writing in the Bible known as narrative. It's a narrative account. It's much easier to read than say the book of Romans or the book of Hebrews because it's following the true story of the early believers, how they were able to turn their world upside down in a matter of years. Without technology, without all of the accoutrements we have today, it was just them and the Holy Spirit trusting in him. And you have to understand when you launch into the book of Acts where they were exactly. This is a group of people who three years prior encountered Jesus personally and made a conscious decision to turn their back on everyone and everything because of their faith that this was promised Savior, promised Messiah. They they lost everything, willingly gave it up for the sake of following him and spent every day with him, morning, noon, and night, 
They ate with them, hung out with them, went on the Sea of Galilee with them. They walked the roads. They joked. They, they saw him perform miracles. They, 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 you know, can you imagine how they felt? Just, just imagine for a second. You know how there are people around that just encourage you? You can just feel the encouragement. When they show up, it's like, oh, this is great. It's palpable. It's, it's like, can you imagine the feeling? When he was crying, they started crying. They felt his pain. They wondered about him. When he was happy, they, they, rode that, they rode that wave of happiness. And then they abandoned him at his time of greatest need. They abandoned him. They turned their back on their best friend. I mean, they left everything. They lost, we, you and I, we can't even relate. We, we may have lost some things or a few things, or we may have family issues because we're saved. We, have, we can share in some intersections of these things, but everything everything and then when they're right down to it they don't have the physical fortitude to endure this with Jesus and they abandon him and watch from a distance and all the emotion that goes with that all the shame all the guilt all and and then they watch him die and then they decide it's over it was all a mistake let's go back to work Let's go back to what it was before. Only to be met by the risen Lord. To have him show up and, and cook for you and encourage you and say, no, no, you, here's, here, here, it, it was real. You are forgiven. You are restored. And listen, just wait in Jerusalem. Something special is going to happen. Just wait in Jerusalem and your whole life's going to be rocked. It's going to be awesome. And those of you that read in the book of Acts, you know the day of Pentecost is that day that Jesus promised, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter preaching a message. I mean, I've never personally seen this. I guess with the exception of, uh, you know, being a crusade type event with Pastor Greg Laurie or, or Franklin Graham, I've seen, I've seen a proclamation of the gospel and many, many people respond. But not like Peter, where there was this spiritual phenomena and just in a heartbeat, from memory, he gives a message you can read in two minutes and three thousand people respond to the gospel 3,000 people and God knows my heart I've been praying that I would like to see that before I see him in heaven I would love to see that with my own eyes the supernatural working of God that the appointment for those three they didn't even know when they woke up that day life would change for them that's unbelievable that, that's where we are in the book of Acts the story the true story in the book of Acts this narrative are those people how is it that they changed the world? I mean, how is it? How, how is it that they, they were used of God to transform a world? They were so successful. If we want to use the word successful, they were so successful that you're saved today. You're saved because of the faithfulness of the book of Acts. You are a part of the book of Acts. You are the outgrowth of seeds that they planted in the first century. You are an outgrowth of the persecution they experienced. You are an outgrowth of the government oppression in their lives. You are the result of their faithfulness unto the Lord. Unbelievable, the book of Acts. It's going to stir, us, stir up in us hope and encouragement, and it's going to remind us what does God want from his church. It's not going to be an owner's manual. So you're not going to be able to open up and go, this is exactly how to do church. You, you won't. That's not what the book of Acts is. Instead, it has principles. It has practicalities. It has insights. The, the, the main insight of the book of Acts is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Because you know as well as I do that the church, the church doesn't exist without the Holy Spirit. There is no, you, you can gather. I mean, if church was just simply gathering people, I could fill this room multiple times a weekend, standing room only, a lot of different ways. If that's all it took is to answer God, oh, how did you fill up the room? Well, let me tell you how I filled up the room. It would be very easy in this culture to fill this room up. For example, next week, to fill this room up, we could put out right now, we could say, we are giving a brand new car away. Not a cheap one with three wheels, the best of the best. And all you need to do is buy a ticket and you must be here in person to win. Boom, man. As many tickets were sold, this room will be packed. Free car. Next week, free house. Next week, you know, we could, we could easily grab people's attention. It, it would be easy. People do it all the time, unfortunately. They prick different parts of humanity to manipulate and to take. But that's not the church. You could fill a room with a thousand people. If the Spirit's not here, it's not the church. As a matter of fact, this building's not the church. I mean, the kids are back from school, but during summer, when the kids aren't here, this is such a cavernous room. Empty, dark, cold. Why? Because it's just a building. It doesn't become the church until the church shows up. Then it's the church. After our service today, we'll have... We'll have Sugracia here, and then they'll head off, and there'll be a short amount of time before our high schoolers come back. But that short amount of time, the building will be empty, and it's just a building on the corner. You're the church. I'm the church. So as you look ahead to the book of Acts, you've got the broader application to all churches. You're going to have the application to our little church family, but you're also going to have the application to you because you are the church. You are the church. And while I'm troubled and I got concerns about the broader church, I'm only responsible for me and our, our church family. And I pray that the word of God would influence people that have gotten off. Let me show you a few verses before we leave. Go over to Zechariah chapter 4 with me, would you? Zechariah chapter 4. We're getting back to basics, simplicity. I'm so grieved where the church is going, but I do know that the Lord is going to lead us and guide us. And it's our dependence upon the Spirit. Not our dependence on the human ingenuity or human smarts. Or I, I can't, you know, as you're turning to Zechariah, I can't tell you. There's a whole different world when it comes to church and leadership. And man, I'm always getting stuff of somebody telling me that they know how to run our church. And we should do it this way. And buy this book. And buy this program. I mean, just this week I got an email that said, hey, you know what, Pastor? Come to this free seminar, which is technically saying, come to this free seminar so we can sell you a bunch of stuff. So come to this free seminar, pastor, and we will teach you how to increase your giving by 35%. Woo. How do they know? They don't know you. They don't know what you're going through. They don't know what kind of financial hardship you might be in that you're not giving. They don't know what trial you might be facing. Who are they? to tell me that the church even needs to increase giving 35%. Maybe it's God's will that giving go down. How about that? How about this free seminar? Your tithes and offerings are down. You should pray more. Yeah, not many people are going to come to that because they got nothing to sell. Why don't you just seek the Lord? Why don't you learn to live on what you have and not what you don't have? How about those seminars? But that doesn't happen in the church world. 
Because people, this is the essence of, hey, grow your church, fill your chairs, increase your offerings. Again, I'm, I'm letting you in on my world of the stuff that I get as a pastor. But that, the whole purpose is this. They want access to you. They cannot have access to you because you belong to the Lord. And whatever God has for us, he has for us. If the chairs are filled, fantastic. We'll love you under the Lord. If they're empty, I can't say fantastic, but if they're empty, we'll serve the people that are here because there's never been a time in the history of our church that I've ever showed up and the church was completely empty. Never. You know why? I was there. <laughs> but even so, I think the least amount, if I recollect, the least amount of people I ever showed up to a service was four. And you know what God was doing? He was testing my heart. You're going to love the four? And back then, maybe there were 50 people coming on a Thursday. You're going to love the four like if there were 50 here? Yes, Lord. Yes, I will. Because four are important as 40, as 400, 40. that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're not going to trust in the arm of man. You know, people, people create these packages to sell to churches. If you're observant as you drive around town, you'll see what I'm talking about. Because you'll be on the other side of town, maybe doing shopping or working, and you'll see a church with a banner and some series and some title. And then you're on this side of town, and you see another church, same banner, same title, same series. You want to know what happened? They bought the same program. There was a time when there was a popular book where every church in town was studying through that book. Let me just tell you, when every church chooses to study through a book, we will study the Bible. We're committed to it. I'm not saying books are bad or good. I love reading. But man, we are not going to study someone else's book about the Bible. You need the Bible. You need it to wash your mind. You need it to conform your heart. You need it to convict you. You need it to instruct you. You need it to correct you. You need it to encourage you. But that's the church world today. That's what's happening among us. And we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the Lord. Here, notice this. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Zerubbabel, he's got this massive situation before him, rebuilding the temple. It's overwhelming. Doesn't know what he's going to do. The tide feels against him. Listen to how God answers him. This, this is verse 6, Zechariah 4. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And mark these words, church. This is one of the foundational scriptures of Calvary Church here in Aurora, Colorado. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. This verse is the Old Testament summary of the book of Acts. This is the book of Acts. How did they transform the world? Not by might, not by power, not by packages, not by sermon series, not by prepackaged. This is how you can do it, but a simple dependence upon the Holy Spirit and prayer. The book of Acts can be defined this. It is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God through the people of God. That is the book of Acts. And I know it's not exciting, and I know it's not flashy, and I know it doesn't get all the attention, but it's the long game, church. Jesus is involved in the long game. 
And you need to be patient with all the seeds that you've planted and all the water, all the seeds that you've watered because it's only God that gives the increase. And so that's our commitment. We're going to teach you the Bible verse by verse. We're going to go through from beginning to end. We're going to speak about every topic. We're going to apply it into your lives. We're going to submit ourselves. We're going to pray together. We're going to fast together. We're going to be men and women that are seeking the heart of God as imperfect as we are, living real, true, authentic lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the true story of a small group of men and women who in the power of the Holy Spirit did not leave their world the same way they found it. They transformed it. Ordinary people that were enabled to do extraordinary things. The beginning of a Jesus movement that continues to this day. And there is a tremendous emphasis upon the Spirit of God as in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path. That's our heart as pastors and elders. I I know we've been doing this a long time and we've had a blast. It's been a great joy. A lot of warfare, a lot of fruit, a lot of wonderful lives. If you think of all the people that have come through and we've had the privilege of serving in the 20 years we've been here. But we can't lean on on our own understanding. I don't know what the future is going to hold. I know sometimes you will call and ask questions. You know, Ed, Pastor Ed, or Pastor So, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And our answer is, I don't know. And you're like, what do you mean you don't know? I, I don't know. Well, Pastor, if you don't know, then we're really in trouble. Probably not as much as you think. Because I have the privilege, just like you, when I don't know something, I can ask God. I can trust in Him. When I don't understand a situation, when something's so heavy and so difficult, when something's so overwhelming where I don't know the future, I can ask the Lord. I can trust that unknown future to a God who I know very well. He's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful again. None of the things we're experiencing, none of the stuff I've just mentioned, it's not knocking God off his throne. It's like, oh man, I didn't know this would happen. Fill me in, Ed. I didn't know. But rather he says, come to me, son, and come to me, daughter. I love the fellowship. I love the intimacy. Let me give you wisdom and direction for your life. Let me comfort you and encourage you. Let me strengthen you. Let me enable you. Let me empower you. So that not only can you have the kind of strength and stamina that you need, but you can be a light lighting the candle in the midst of a very dark world. Some of the things you're going to read in the book of Acts, let me just warn you, they're just going to seem foolish. They're going to seem so simple. And that's where you're going to have this response of, no, it has to be more complicated. It's actually not that complicated. Living your life for Jesus isn't as complicated as it feels sometimes. I know even when, when decisions, I was sharing with somebody recently, like, like during this last couple years, I think myself, the pastors, you know, Pastor Everett, like we're just in decision fatigue. We've had to make so many decisions. And I just know when my phone is, when my phone rings and it says Everett, five more decisions. But you know, he's made five before he called me. It's like one, I know, and you know, even that's my role. Like I know it's why I've been put on the planet to submit to God and to lead and to, but man, it's just been fatiguing. And I'm sure you guys have your own stories of fatigue in this season. But you know how I can answer that phone call one more time? The power of the Holy Spirit. You know how I can make 10 more decisions? By the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You know how I even know what to do or what to say or when to say nothing? (laughs) By the power of the Holy Spirit. God is so good to us. Jesus said he wouldn't leave us orphans. That he would send the Spirit. He would bring things to our remembrance. He would teach us all things. We want to be submitted to the Spirit of God. And even though some things are going to sound super, super, super simple, we can't get more simple. We need to continue to simplify our walk with the Lord so we can get to the root of how God will use us as a church. Again, we're not responsible for every church in town. And I'm grateful for that. But we are responsible for this fellowship family and my care. Somehow, I don't know how God's going to sort it out, but I'm going to answer to God for my pastoral care and leadership of your families, whether you've been here a week or 20 years. And it seems as I get older that I only take that more seriously. It only brings a great, greater shaking, if you will, of answering to God to make sure that Man, I'm leading your family, serving your family to the capacity that God has made me. And maybe even more so, self-sacrificially. But I'm concerned. And I'm concerned that we'll all get off track and not be used of God in these last days. I don't want you to get off track. And maybe Book of Acts will sound simple or foolish or radical to you. Maybe just consider that maybe the Book of Acts will sound so simple and so radical to you because I think in some areas we've settled for an Americanized version of Christianity where Christianity now somehow is tied to the American dream and God never intended that. He intended our dreams to be focused on Him. He intended to speak to us through visions and dreams. He intended for all that we have to be used for His glory and His honor. He created us for His purpose. He didn't create us so that he can then somehow adapt himself to make us happier. He's he's using circumstances in our lives to make us holier. And I do know this, as you live a holy, separated life, you will be happier. You will experience the joy of the Lord because you're living according to his purposes. So you wonder, Ed, the whole message, you never even read Acts. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 1. We'll get to this verse by verse, word by word next time, but just consider when you launch into the book of Acts, Acts is a companion to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, same author. We'll explain that in future studies. But here's what Luke says when he opens up. He says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Theophilus, this man, receives this bombshell beautiful letter that's a companion to the book of Luke. And it's all about what Jesus started to do and teach which even continues to this day. You are a part of the book of Acts. I am a part of the book of Acts. Oh, no, not in writing new scripture or new chapters. But because of everything in the book of Acts, you and I are walking with Jesus today. And I pray the Lord totally sweeps us off our feet. Whatever your preconceived ideas are, 
whatever my predispositions are, let's lay them at the feet of the cross and be instructed in a fresh new way of how God wants to use us in this latter season of our lives, in this latter season of our church, so that we can have a, make a difference in our community that will last all around Colorado, the United States, and around the world. And I pray that you choose to listen, to pray, and to obey what God has shown you. And it'll radically change your life. And what will happen? You'll walk into this new, brand new, fresh revelation of an authentic, Jesus-loving life. Not church, not religion, not Americanized Christianity, not following a man, a pastor, a YouTube video, but an authentic, Jesus-loving life. It's available to you. It's available to us. And what will happen in our community when we're overwhelmed by the agape love of Jesus? I can't help but think it will be transformed in ways that it hasn't thus far. So Father, we just pray as we think through our study in the book of Acts and anticipating all that you want to accomplish. I pray that you would pour out a fresh anointing of your spirit upon us. I pray, God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would change us and grow us, that, God, you would have your way among us, ministering your love, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.